Welcome to Romans Untangled, the podcast where we take a seemingly difficult book of the Bible and untangle it so that we can enjoy its beauty. Season 4, Episode 4, Gospel Living in Society, The Christian and Government, Romans 13, 1-7. Does the Bible teach us anything about how Christians are to interact with government? Hey, man, I'm glad you asked, because today we are going into one of the most thought-provoking passages in the entire Bible on this very issue here on Romans Untangled. Pastor Steve Treichler here from beautiful Minneapolis, Minnesota, where we're having a fall like we're supposed to. Uh, I don't know where you are right now, but Minneapolis is just beautiful right now. I'm actually trying to grow some grass seed in the front yard here and seeing how that goes this fall. So we have no more brown spots is the goal here. So anyway, yeah, excited about fall coming. Not ready, though, for what comes after that. Hey, let's dive into what we got going on today, because honestly, this is... This is simply just an amazing passage. I want to read the passage to you. And the different versions don't really make a ton of difference here. Um, So I'm just going to read from the New International Version. Uh, That's my personal version that I, you know, it's kind of my default. Um, All the translations really pretty much line up. And I'll talk a little bit about that when we go through the passage. But if you got your Bible open, Romans 13, 1 to 7, here we go. Giddy up. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Okay, let's giddy up after this thing. Now, what's what's amazing um, to, to many about this passage is how perhaps it just feels like, whoa, What's happening? Uh, you know, we're talking a lot about gospel language uh, in the first five chapters, and then chapters six, seven, and eight is talking about how we live in light of the gospel. What a spirit-filled uh, Christian living look like, and victory over sin, uh, our union with Christ. We get to chapters nine to eleven, and it starts leaning into what did God's plan fail? For was you know what what about Israel and what's going on? Did the word of God? Did His promise? Did He blow it? Or what's happens and we this whole unpacking 12 then says offer your bodies as living sacrifices and and we go on and on what does this transformational living look like and we've looked at this for the last 
uh, few weeks as we've looked at what does that mean to have the renewing of your mind and then talking about we've been gifted so we can give things away. We give away these gifts. And then lastly, this list of, I think I counted up 27 uh, different uh, things that were what what transformational living looks like. All right. And we ended that, which says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then remember in the original letter, there would have been no, there would have been no uh, chapter divisions. And so the next thing would have been, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. So really this is just a continuation of this long list of things that he's talking about in chapter 12. Um, but it just all of a sudden goes into this government thing, right? I mean, it's like, whoa, what is going on? So I, I, I don't think, you know, there's some people who will, and I'll get into this later a little bit. There's some people that think, oh, this, this wasn't in Romans. It doesn't make any sense. And somebody stuck it in there later. And there's no, <laughs> the only reason that they say that is because they don't like this. I mean, in other words, they don't like it here. Not necessarily what it says, but they just don't think it thematically follows. So therefore, somebody must have added it. And that there is no textual evidence. There are no manuscripts where this is missing. I mean, it's just, it just, it's, it's just some people don't. Yeah, if something doesn't fit, it can't be, you know, the original. And that just doesn't make sense with really any way you would study any piece of literature, ancient literature. So that's not the case. So I would say that the way this kind of flows is he's still talking about transformational living. What does it mean to be transformed in your mind in light of the great message of the gospel? And now instead of talking about, we talked last week about what does gospel living look like in the church and to those outside the church. Now he's talking about in society and specifically with the government, okay? So with that as kind of our introduction here, let's just get right into the passage. And uh, uh, what, <laughs> as often is passages that are, are controversial or difficult, so to speak, they're not difficult to understand the words. I mean, this, this, as I was studying this, I was just blown away by, no, this is super simple. So let's just take a look at the first two verses, for instance. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Okay, so the word for there, we talked about this in season one, means that it's the why, right? We are to be subject. Uh, the word there would be submit uh, or to... Um, uh, to to be a person who uh, gives sub, submission or, uh, and again, he doesn't use the word obey here, it's submission. And the reason you're submitting to this or you're being subject to the governing authorities is because there's no authority that exists except which God has established. And then the second sentence of that, just it's just a repeat. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Okay. That's simple. I mean, this is really simple. Now, I know what you're saying, and I, I was going to wait a little bit, but I, I can't help myself. Uh, you're all going, wait a minute. Well, there's a lot of what ifs here. There are, and we are going to get at them. But first, let's just look at what the passage says in its simplest language, because it is it is quite simple to understand. God has established authorities. There's not one that exists that God didn't, and that uh, therefore we are to be subject to them. And the conversely, he says, verse 2, consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted 
and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Now, and you could look at this judgment a couple of ways, like the if you're a rebel against a government, then the government will have judgment on you. Most people think that this is talking about God because it's saying ultimately if you rebel against the government, you are rebelling against God because God established these, okay? Just hang on. I know <laughs> I know I know what you're thinking. Uh, I am too. But let's just hold on. Verse 3. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. Right? So Paul is saying here, government then, um, government works in such a way that if you do, if you, if you, you know, follow the societal rules, you don't have anything to fear. Right? But if for the one in verse four, the one in authority is God's servant for your good. That's the, the, this is where we kind of get, What's the intention of human governments? It is to provide human flourishing. That's the point of government. Okay, the government is not put out there for hope. And I know politicians were coming into an election season here this November, and of course, a big one in America uh, for a presidential election in 24. Uh, and people try to try to get it almost like a religious fervor that the that politics and government can actually provide hope. And that, that's not what Scripture ever teaches. Scripture teaches here that, that government is to help human flourishing on the earth. And that's it. It doesn't provide hope. That the, the thing that we need or our souls are desperately wanting is a relationship with our Creator, and government has zero answer to that. But if you do wrong, the middle of verse 4 says, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. Of course, this is written in the Roman Roman rule time, and uh, they had punishment, physical punishment, capital punishment, brutal, with swords. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So there's something here where governments provide stability. They provide stability in um, ways that keep evil at bay. Okay? So that's... That's kind of what the purpose of government is. It keeps evil at bay to protect people, to protect the society. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. In other words, uh, you, you want to live free from, from uh, you know, being having your conscience uh, seared all the time because you're breaking the government rules and you're, you're doing things to... You're, you're getting away, but you just have this sense of feeling guilty. And as a Christian, we want to live free from that. Then he goes on to say this. This is why you pay your taxes. Okay, and remember, we lived in Roman times where they collected a lot of taxes. For the authorities are God's servants, and they work full-time at a governing. So we pay them. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe them taxes, pay them taxes. If you owe revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Just if you owe these things, give it away. And one, this is one of the passages that I've thought about a lot, especially in the honor thing, is every human being is made in the image of God. And remember, we talked an awful lot about this whole series that if you look down at any human being on the planet, you actually have a gospel problem. You don't understand the gospel if you think there's someone who's less worthy than you. Or that they're they're more uh, they have more sin and so therefore God loves them less or something. No, they they're worthy of honor because they're a person made in the image of God for whom Christ went to the cross for, and so I owe all people honor. 
Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to trust them. And in fact, if they're doing evil, it might not even mean I'm going to, I might stop them from doing evil. But I do still owe them honor and respect as, an, as someone who was born in the image of God. Okay, the passage could not be a whole lot clearer, right? You have a passage here that, that makes it very clear that the earthly authorities, governments, have been established by God, right? And, uh, and therefore, we are to submit to them. These purposes of these human governments are for our good and that they will uh, provide human flourishing and safety and they will restrain evil, okay? So, and this, this is not just in Romans. You can see this throughout the Bible, okay? So Psalm 75, verses six and seven says this, no one from the east or the west or from the desert can exalt themselves. It is God who judges. He brings one down, he exalts another. Right, So there's this whole idea that God is the one who sets up people in positions of authority over other people. He's the one who does that. Okay, One of my most uh, favorite and quite shocking ones is, is in Daniel chapter 4. It's, what I'm going to read here is, gonna, is, is, uh, is spoken by King Nebuchadnezzar, who after he had kind of uh, uh, made a big deal about that he was like a god, uh, and he had committed this hubris. Hubris just meaning uh, he claimed to be, or he took the, the glory that is due God. God made him lose his mind. And he wandered uh, for a season of time. He wandered on all fours, and his hair grew long, and his nails grew like like crazy, and he ate grass. I mean, he just was, he just went completely crazy. And then God restores his sanity. And uh, he now is praising God. And one of the things he says in verse 17 is this. The decision is announced by messengers, uh, meaning the, the angels. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High, that's God Almighty, is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. Okay, this is Nebuchadnezzar now getting a right view of who God is. And he says, God, you're the one who's in control of all of this. And you're doing that. Okay. This, you can even see this in another remarkable passage in uh, the Gospel of John. In John 19, where Jesus appears before Pilate, Pilate is very hesitant to go ahead with the crucifixion of Jesus. And here's the deal for Jesus. Jesus has to be crucified, but he can have nothing to do with it. He cannot commit suicide, so to speak. He has to have them do it. And so Pilate is in this place like he's super confused. He's not a Jew. He doesn't understand. He's not offended by Jesus, what he said or anything. And he's like, what is going on? And in all of this, he keeps asking the Jewish leaders, what do you, why do you want this man to die. And so this we pick it up in verse 7 of, of chapter 19 of the of the Gospel of John. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, they said, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. 
Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power, or that word is the same word we have here to talk about authorities. I have authority either to free you or to crucify you. I have that authority. And Jesus Jesus answered him, you would have no power, or the word authority, same word, over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Now, that's a fascinating passage. I mean, seriously, this is amazing. Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, God Almighty, is saying, Pilate, you do have human authority over me at this very moment. You know why that is? Because we have given you that authority. And you have a job to do right now, Pilate, so do it, is what Jesus is saying. But he can't command him. (laughs) And he even tells him, he gives him kind of an out. He says, hey, listen, man, the people that handed me over to you, starting with Judas and going on right down, they're the ones who are going to bear this. Like, don't worry about it, Pilate. Just do your job. <laughs> it's, an, it's an amazing thing, okay? So the, the concept that there's authorities in the world and they're established by God and that we are to be subject to them or s- submissive to them, uh, we're to put ourselves underneath them, and the opposite of that would be rebellion, right? Uh, that's not a biblical concept. Now, here we go. Let's get after it. Uh, because the message is clear. Right? You, 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 honestly, I, I don't know in all the years that I've been teaching the Bible or teaching Romans in different contexts, or I've had anyone just say, "This I don't understand this passage. What they're saying is, I don't understand this passage at all because, wait a minute, Wait, wait, wait one minute here. Are you saying that we should just let governments be evil and corrupt and do whatever they say? If it, you know, would, did the, did the Nazi, um, uh, uh, you know, the the generals and the the people down the line who did horrific things and uh, you know did atrocities and were in Auschwitz and other places and killed millions and millions of Jews and others in these concentration camps? Do they have a legit saying, hey, man, I, I'm just obeying the Bible here. The Bible says I'm just following orders. All right? I'm just, I didn't do, I didn't, it's not me doing this. I'm just not following orders. Okay. Is that true? That's the first question I want to deal with. The second question is, uh, at the time that this was written, uh, there were no significant, if any, real real democracies out there. I know the Greeks had a form of it. And even in Rome, there was a certain element of democracy, but there still was a huge amount of power given to Caesar. In fact, there was even Caesar worship was part of the the, the imperial um, religion was you needed to worship Caesar. And so it's like, okay, that's, we don't, <laughs> even though some presidents might think that here, that's not the case uh, in America. We have more of a democracy. And the question then is, how do Christians in a government that's a democracy look at this passage? And I want, I want to deal with that question a little bit separately. First, let's just deal with the first one. Wait a minute. What about, uh, what about when governments go wackadoodle? All right. Now, I'm really going to lean in. Uh, Douglas Moo um, is, is an amazing scholar in the book of Romans. 
And anytime I give quotes, or in fact, even when you listen to me, you need to filter it all through scripture. So just because we really admire someone, I mean, probably the person I admire the most, I just passed away recently, is uh, Timothy Keller. And yet, I don't agree with everything he has said. Uh, in fact, I don't agree with everything I've said in my uh, pushing 40 years here of, of being a follower of Jesus. And so you always have to filter things through through the scripture. But I think Douglas Moo in his commentaries, uh, and he's got three different commentaries on Romans, just does a phenomenal job of giving us a lot of insight. And let me, I, I want to lean in on what he has to say here. So let me start off by, by just uh, reading a paragraph here. He says, it is only a slight exaggeration to say that the history of the of the interpretation of Romans 13, 1 to 7 is the histories, is a history of attempts to avoid what seems to be its plain meaning. At first glance and taking on its own, this passage seems to require that Christians always, in whatever situation, obey whatever their government leaders tell them to do. Almost all Christians recoil from this conclusion. Our own sad experience of situations like the Holocaust during World War II suggests that genuine Christian devotion to God must sometimes require disobedience of the government. Moreover, moreover, this sense finds support within the New Testament itself. The classic text is Roman, or excuse me, Acts 5, verse 29, in which Peter and John respond to the Jewish leaders' order to stop teaching in Jesus' name, and they say, we must obey God rather than men. Equally important is the book of Revelation, in which keeping the commandments of God in the face of governmental pressure to the contrary is the central demand placed on loyal believers. Okay, so there's a tension here. So people have asked over the years, well, what do we do with these passages then? And I'm, he, he offers seven, uh, seven possible things that we could do with these passages. And I'm just going to say, uh, I'm going to move from what I think are the silly to the ones that are like, make you go, hmm, I think especially when you get number six and seven, they they seem to be like, yeah, this is kind of more the way we should lean in on these. So the first one is simply this. Uh, this Paul didn't write this. This doesn't belong in the book of Romans. Uh, it was added later. You can cut it out. Okay, so we've already talked about that. There's no textual basis for that whatsoever. And so we're going to toss that one out. The second one, <laughs> I actually love this one because I think it's, I actually think it's so ridiculous. It, it says, Paul was naive about the evil that governments might do or demand that we do. The Apostle Paul lived in the Roman Empire. The Apostle Paul himself got several occasions where he was imprisoned. He was there under Nero. He saw many people suffering by the government, Christians persecuted, even put to death, harshly treated. Not only that, but if you look at the history of what Paul would have known very well, the Old Testament, and he would have known the story of the Israelites as they left out of exile and were under nations and how they were horrifically treated. So this this one's just ridiculous. Okay, third thing. Paul was demanding submission to the government only for the short interval before the kingdom would be would be established in power. In other words, once the church age start to get going, then we can just forget about it. Okay, kind of once again, that's your reading into the passage. Um, third, fourthly, and now we're starting to get the ones that maybe make a little bit more sense. 
Paul demands submission to authorities, interpreted as both secular rulers and the spiritual powers that stand behind them, only as long as those authorities manifest their own submission to Christ. In other words, you don't submit to an authority that is uh, not uh, following Christ. Okay. Again, that we're get, I think we're getting closer, but we're not there yet because really, and you know, there's probably going to get a few emails, but that's okay. Steve at HopeCC.com, go ahead. I don't know that we've ever really set up a truly Christian nation. It, it just it hasn't really worked out that way. Okay, and so you people have tried and, and it has failed. Fifth, Paul is demanding submission to the secular rulers only of the Roman Christians and only in the immediate situation they are facing. In other words, they're saying, yeah, that, that's what he was saying to the people in Rome, but he's not saying that to anyone else. And again, the, the, the trick on this one would be, are you saying that's what Paul would be saying about spiritual gifts and about, I mean, everything else in the letter? Though all the, the thing that love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, on and on and on. Is that only for the Romans? He doesn't make any indication of a what, what we call a local event. In other words, he doesn't say, hey, there's this thing happening in Rome and you should really handle it this way. He, he's speaking pretty globally here. Okay. The last two, I think, are the two that we can lean in on here. Paul demands submission to government only as long as the government functions as Paul says it should function in verses 3 and 4. And just to recall your, your uh, memory here, in verses 3 and 4, it says that that they hold, they they punish wrong, right? And four says that they're there for your good. They're they're there. They're agents of wrath to hold things into, um, and to have uh, a sense of order. Okay, so there's still a level that a Christian should submit to that. And we'll get into when it's right to not submit in just a second. Uh, but he's saying here that governments, even even some bad governments, really do withhold evil. They they keep evil at bay, and so he's saying when it functions in that way, that that part of the government you need to submit to. But then, lastly, number seven is I think the one that really helps us out here a lot, and this says that Paul demands a submission to government, not strict and universal obedience. And he, he, there's a difference here between the words submit or be subject to and obey, right? That's a different form of the word. Uh, and it says this, as a result of this, it's a recognition of the place that God has given government in the ordering of the world. In other words, we submit to it, but we do not obey it. We only obey one, one being in the universe, and that is God Almighty. The Christian submits to government by acknowledging this divinely ordained status of government and its consequent right to demand the believer's allegiance. In most cases, then, Christian submission to government will involve obeying what the government tells the Christian to do. But government does not have absolute rights over the believer. For government, like every human institution, is subordinate to God himself. And then he goes on to say, okay, so now let's just get into it. What do we mean here about how do we... Um, what, what, what does it mean for us to in, interact here? And there are times where disobedience to a government is totally obedience to God, right? We can submit, uh, we can submit to the government 
like Jesus did, but only in those times when it's not directly contrary to what God has told us we should do. Okay? So here's the deal. The 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 plain teaching here is is that we are to be good citizens as Christians. We are to be submissive and respectful of our government, and we are to follow it until it violates God's laws, God's ways, and then we are to disobey it. Okay. Now, where this gets super complicated is the second question. Well, what about a democracy? Aren't we the government? And that is true. That is true. And it is, uh, it is a beautiful thing that Christians have an opportunity to run for office and to be engaged in that. Now, I would argue that we are not trying to set up a kingdom of God on the earth, but we are trying to buy the best possible place where God's love and compassion, his common grace can be established here on the earth to provide human flourishing and good for people and to restrain evil and to protect society, right? That's what government exists for. And the Christian has the right in this country and in many countries around the world as a de- democratic process to be involved with that. And so we do. We vote at, at a bare minimum. We vote. We may help people that we believe in who we think will help human flourishing the best, we may help them get elected. We will do so in a respectful and non-inflammatory way where we think our opponents are just pure evil and all that. That's just, that's not Christian. We go about this in a way that not the way the world does it. Believe me, I know the ads are even starting to come up for the, for the presidential uh, primaries coming up and you just, you start to see how they demonize the other person. And that's not the way this passage talks about we should live. Hey, I really want to thank you so much for joining me here on Romans Untangled. We're going to dive right back into Romans next time, picking it up with let no debt remain outstanding except the continual debt to love one another in Romans 13 verse 8. Thanks so much for joining me this week on Romans Untangled.